Hello there! Welcome to the Oblivious Maximus podcast for another week. I'm your host, Aaron Osborne. This week, my guest is Sophie Benjamin. Um, Sophie plays in a band called Sailor Mouth that is predominantly her, so I'm not sure whether I should call it a band or not. I mean, it is a band. There are other instruments in it. However, Sophie is the driving force behind Sailor Mouth. Um, Sophie also has a zine called I Am Very Busy and Important, um, and also is a journalist. She works, um, she used to work in the radio, and now she works for Crikey, um, and she's an interesting person, and I thought it would be cool to have a chat with her about, um, her relationship with music and how that sort of developed and, uh, grown as her life has gone on. Um, she comes from Rockhampton, which is a small town in Queensland, and, uh, well, she didn't come from Rockhampton, but she lived in Rockhampton for a long time. And, uh, you know, it's a, a small town similar, not in size to Canberra, but I like talking to people who are from places that aren't from big cities because I like their input on how they got into music and how it sort of uh, interacted with their growing up. Um, so, yeah, it was really fun talking to her. Um, and she brought chocolate scotch fingers, which I fucking love. So thank you again for doing that, Sophie. Um, but yeah, it was really fun. Um, so enjoy the conversation. Uh, the reason I'm doing this one today, um, is so that I have one to put up this week because I realized last week after I said that the live podcast would be the next one I put up that I'm doing live podcast tomorrow and I'm physically not going to be able to put that up, um, this week because that would be impossible to turn around that quick because I have a real life as well. Um, so I think the live podcast will go up next week, so I made sure I did another one this week to chuck in too, and Sophie was kind enough to come at a relatively short notice and do that with me. So, yeah, enjoy this conversation. Also, to that credit, come and hear me talk tomorrow with Callum Preston, Matt Weston, Kane Hibbard, and Patrick Galvin at The Reverence. Starts at 8 o'clock tomorrow night. Uh, Jamie... Hey, and the Guilt Parade, sorry, I stumbled through Jamie's name just then, um, are playing After We Talk, and Ben Searle is going to be um, chinwagging for 15 minutes or so before I start as well. Um, so, 8 o'clock, The Reverence, there's good food, vegan or otherwise, um, and there's beer. I'm sure I'll try and drink all of it. Um, so, come and do that with me, it'll be really fun. Um Enough talking, let's get to the episode. This is Oblivious Maximus, episode 33, with Sophie Benjamin from Sailor Mouth. Brutal! Well, Sophie, welcome to my podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, my pleasure. Um, thank you for coming to my house as well. I feel like I always need to thank people for coming to Oak Park. It's fine. It's it's like, it's air conditioned. The it couch is, is comfy. Yeah. I brought scotch fingers with me. Um, so for those of you who aren't here, which is every person else, um, Sophie brought chocolate covered scotch fingers, which I love. So fantastic. Um, I encourage anyone who intends on being a future guest to bring <laughs> gifts yes. and food because other people have done that in the past and it's fantastic. Um, okay. Uh, before I start, I'm going to apologize for my husky 
husky tone this week because I have a cold that I'm trying very hard to kick before I have to talk in front of people in two days' time. But, nevertheless, here we are. Um, uh, so, how did you first get into music? Um, I guess I was lucky enough to be born into a music-loving family. Like, my dad's side of the family, family Christmases, like, eventually devolve into, like, Von Trapp family (laughs) sing-alongs. Like, someone gets a guitar out, there would be a piano, and everyone just hooks in. And and mum's side is, is more restrained, but... On my on my mum's side, my grandfather was an opera singer, and that was his plan as a mm-hmm. young man. And then there used to be this thing; it was it was kind of like the nineteen forties version of Australian Idol, but for opera. And it was this big competition and, on TV. Um, on on the wireless because like you know TV was not that great, but True. it was sponsored by News Corp or whatever the version of News Corp was back then. Sure. It was a big deal, and my granddad got down to like. The last two or three, and he was beaten by little Joni Sutherland, who <laughs> became Dame Joan Sutherland. So, <coughs> so he was pretty good. Look, he was he was pretty good, but then he was his, up against hardy competition. Yes, at least. yeah. So, and then his parents said, "Oh, you've got to get a got to get a real job." Yeah, and then he became an engineer and was like quite, you know, into that. But apparently, the story was, you know, every morning he would get up in far north Queensland, like where my mum grew up every morning at like 5am and do his scales, like his opera singing scales, Mm -hmm. wake up the street. So big music loving family. My mum would like play music to me and my siblings as fetuses. She got, and there was music playing in the delivery room. Speakers against the belly. Yeah, she got, she was very into it. I think she might've (laughs) maybe got over it a little bit by the time my sister came along because the novelty of having children worn off, but Mm -hmm. music was everywhere growing up. Yeah, right. So... Which is like my dad plays piano beautifully, mm-hmm. uh, but I always wanted to play guitar. Yeah. Like, always. And then dad, I think they, they wanted me to become a piano prodigy and it was just, I'm not into it. Did they force you into lessons? They did. Yep. Well, my okay. mum did. I shouldn't, I shouldn't drop dad in that. Dad <laughs> really went, no, if she's not, because dad's very much about playing music as having fun and, sure. you, know, you know, hence the Von Trapp family Christmases, Um, whereas mum... wanted everyone to be excited. Yeah, exactly. Whereas, but I'd always want to play guitar and it was always, no, 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 you can't play guitar. Like, piano's the real thing if you've got to learn music. Mm -hmm. And then that compulsion never went away. It only got worse. I remember being like eight, seeing, like watching Rage. I'd get up early to watch Rage every morning, seeing Alanis Morissette's You Ought to Know film clip. Mm -hmm. And I watched it. Like, I just thought she was so cool. Fuck yeah, that looks awesome. And somehow in my mind's eye, I thought she was playing guitar, but I watched it the other day on YouTube and she's not. She's just in the desert thrashing around her, like, greasy Alanis Morissette hair, (laughs) screeching. Maybe that's what you were thinking, though. You were thinking she was, like, thrashing around. Yeah, well, she still looked really cool. Um, But yeah, I, I desperately wanted to learn how to play guitar and my parents were just not into it. And then... I just I just was obsessed with music. I grew up in a little town called Emerald, which mm-hmm. is if you get in a car in Brisbane and drive at 100 k's an hour for 10 hours without stopping somehow, yep. then you will get to Emerald. So what is its nearest capital or nearest big name city? Rockhampton. Okay. So 
And Rocky's about, it's like a triangle. So Rockhampton is about seven hours drive up the coast. Jesus Christ. And about three-ish hours on, like you drive three hours inland from Rocky and then you're in Emerald. Okay. So it's a town of about 10,000 people. Yeah. When we moved there in 1994, when I was about to start grade one, there was, there were no traffic lights. There were no roundabouts. The airport was two sheds. One was the kiosk. One was where you'd like load your bags I'm up. I'm surprised it has an airport at all with 10,000 well, people. Well, yeah, exactly. And the little planes that it, you'd be on a tiny little plane out of Brisbane it would and it was like such an oddly remote area that you'd have to make stops like a bus. <laughs> so you'd stop in at this place called Blackwater. <coughs> which I maintain is the worst place in Queensland. So Blackwater, cop that. Yeah. It's ter- well, <laughs> now there is no airport in Blackwater because um, a coal company bought it and turned it into a mine. Okay. So this is this is what Blackwater's like. But anyway, I was obsessed with music and FM, this is how remote it is. FM radio came to Emerald in 1997. And it was like, yes, finally. We don't have to listen to the sounds of like 1940s radio yeah, it was, wartime broadcasts on that, AM. It's what it felt like. Yeah. I mean, and then you had, um, it was basically like the, you know, the 90s equivalent of gold FM. Yeah. But then hot FM came to Emerald. Perfect. Perf- so good. Um, and so then we had... Like, and you were copping like Spice Girls and things. Copping Spice Girls, but also Red Hot Chili Peppers. Okay. I, like, they were the first band that I, like, fell in love with and got super obsessed with. They were my first, like, arena show. Yeah. I got super, super into Red Hot Chili Peppers. And mum and dad were just kind of happy to let their preteen daughter <laughs> have posters of these, like, manky heroin-addicted tattooed dudes yeah. up on her wall. And I, like, would tape all the Californication singles off the radio. Yep. This is how, like, far back in time Emerald was. Yes, sure. I was on, like, a family holiday with my cousin, and I, she was 18, and I thought she was just the coolest person ever. She lived in Melbourne. Of course. I mentioned Red Hot Chili Peppers, and she was like, oh, that new album's not even their best one. Um, I'll burn you their best one. Oh, not burn you. God, this is how... This is, like, 2000. I'll tape you their best <laughs> yeah. one. So you taped me Blood Sugar Sex Magic, and then said, don't let your mum hear you listening to this. Because she'll put it, like, she'll put this tape in the driveway and back the car over it. <laughs> and I was like, fuck yeah, this is going to be awesome. Yep. So, yeah, then I, I, you know, mum and dad still wouldn't let me play guitar. So it got to primary school. And in Queensland, in, in western and rural Queensland, it's not unusual for people to send their kids to boarding school for high school. Okay. Because the high schools, like, often people will live in a town where there isn't a high school. I lived in one that had two but they were both not great. Okay. And I think, because I'm the eldest, I think mum and dad weren't really prepared for teenagers and what teenagers are like. And I went from being a cute kid to a surly, fat, angsty teen <laughs> who, did, who didn't do anything at school ever. Sure. So they freaked out and sent me to boarding school in Rocky, which is, you know, it was, a, it, look, as far as boarding schools go, it was co-ed. It wasn't... Um, religious at all mm-hmm. it was really lenient it was just full of country kids and most importantly it meant that i was in rocky which is like sixty thousand people yeah so, so I, it was the bloody big smoke oh it was it was like people going Emerald. to rockhampton like for a weekend was just like wow you're living it up in the big city it was just <laughs> but like rocky had <laughs> so yeah I was the airport was to, slightly bigger the than airport two was sheds. Slightly, yeah there was three sheds No, so Rocky was just like, this is the big city. And I remember going up this school, like driving up 
the hill to this school and seeing the pool, like the swimming pool at this school, because it was a private school, and thinking, holy shit, the swimming pool at this school is bigger than the swimming pool of my town. Yeah. Like my entire town thing. So anyway, I went to boarding school. I was like this shy, overweight, you know, nerd. And But part of my, like, how dare you send me to boarding school demand was I want to learn how to play guitar. Mm-hmm. And then mum and dad were like, oh, okay, I guess we'll get you lessons while you're there because now you're in Rocky, there are actual, like, guitar teachers there. Yeah. So, yeah, then I started, like, in boarding school too, you know, you're open plan living because it's Rockhampton, there's no air conditioning. The beds are, like, a metre wide. You've got, like, a a metre and a half high wall. Mm -hmm. Like, it's pretty Spartan. But, yeah, so anyway, while I was trying to make friends or trying to, like, just figure out what I was doing, I taught myself guitar and then people heard me play guitar and singing and then I started doing it in the dorms and then more and more people like, hey, this girl can, you know... Do you, do you need someone who plays guitar? This girl plays guitar, and yeah, despite it. being a the other the other weird thing was my music tastes that was like peak new metal era as well. Yep. So I was learning to play guitar on this big, beautiful old acoustic, and it was equal parts like Joni Mitchell and Michelle Branch and Incubus and System of a Down. <laughs> like those were my two like. They have some acoustic tracks. They had they had right? chop the the intro of Chop Suey was acoustic. Yeah, that's that's true. So, yeah, basically I got to start playing in bands once I moved to Rocky because I was in a city that had more than, like, five people in it, really. Yeah. Um, And was, like, so I guess from when you started listening to the Chili Peppers and things, what what were the other things that you were listening to? Was it, or was it just, like, Chili Peppers and then whatever you could get before you got to Rocky? Oh, I got this. This is like how 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 much the world has changed. Yeah. I got from the one CD shop in Emerald this compilation called Total Rock. Sounds fucking awesome. Yeah. So it was. It had everything from like Incubus to Disturbed, like Down with the Sickness and Stupefy. <laughs> this is like grade eight, my year before I went away to Rocky. Yeah. What else did it have on it? It had like uh, Eve Six, like all those like skate punk bands. Mm-hmm. Um, Fuel, like that Shimmer song. So sort of like anything that was super fucking angsty, I was all over. And whenever there'd be like... that's the perfect age because you are angsty for whatever reason. Uh, Deftones, I love Deftones. So yeah, lots and lots of angsty stuff. But the thing is like my first ever CD I got when I was nine, it was Hanson. Like that first Hanson CD. The one. The one. The only. The only. only, Let's be real. And after that, before that, I just listened to my parents' music and my mum likes sort of 70s singer-songwriters, mm-hmm. you know, maybe like they're, you know, it's sort of stopped at the early 90s, whereas my dad likes what mum likes, but also stage musicals. Great. It's, it's a bit weird. Like mm-hmm. we have these, like my sister jokes that she has, you know, we all have these traumatic memories of being in this big ass land cruiser driving for like 10 hours with like Godspell or <laughs> Les Mis or something being blasted out. Yep. So that was my like my musical diet prior to FM radio coming sure. to Emerald. Um, and then once I got to Rocky, um, I made I got you know 
made these really good friends who weren't boarders. They lived in Rocky. Their families lived in Rocky, mm-hmm. who were all really into music. And one of them, her brother, was the first person I knew who had like cable, fast internet. Right. Um, and you know, this friend's parents were like, "We're not going to pay. We're happy with dial-up." And my friend's brother had gone, "Well, fuck it. I'll just pay for it." Yeah. So he downloaded everything. Mm-hmm. So my music taste just exploded from there. Um, so everything from all that, like Thursday at the drive-in, um, thrice to Tori Amos. Mm-hmm. And I've just, this is the, not the bit I've been dreading, but you, have you, have you heard any Tori Amos? Yes. Of course. So with Tori Amos, people either love her you're like, I've heard a couple of songs, or mm-hmm. they're like, I can't fucking, I cannot, I can't stand it. I'm in the boat of, I know what she sounds like. Yeah. And I've heard her songs, and I'm completely indifferent. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're a rare breed. Most people yeah. have. So she, I discovered Tori Amos when I was 15. And if you sort of do any Googling of Tori Amos fans, you'll find that they're really intense yeah i know some people who fucking love her there are but that was me as a 15 year old i fell down the tori amos rabbit (laughs) hole me and my friend i'm glad that you tweeted about this and now talking about it too yeah because it would have to i think all my friends would be like how did you go on a podcast talking about your musical taste and just neglect (coughs) the tori amos years but it was like i was a really like i you know teens are always really angsty but Mm. i was angstier than most and the thing is like through like, Tori Amos fans are a very angsty-damaged bunch. But through that, I found, like, all the Tori Amos... This is, like, early 2000s, I think. So, all the Tori Amos forums. Because I was at this school and I was in Rocky, the internet was really good, which I probably wouldn't have had out in Emerald. Sure. Um, access to people with CD burners. But, yeah, the Tori Amos rabbit hole, I was put on a Tori Amos ban when I was 16, by my roommate at the time, because I listened to too much Tori Amos. And she was like, this is hysterical and depressing. And I I can't. I just can't. So Tori Amos was banished to headphones. Mm -hmm. And me and my friend... Which is an even closer relationship you develop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. From having her in your head. I know, in my head. And then I'd finish school, get on all the Tori Amos forums. Because she was still actively touring then. So she, she... had like a self-imposed ban from touring Australia because Triple J's Richard Kingsmill really offended her in some interview. Okay. And she was like, fuck We're putting it. Kingsmill to task and this is... Yeah, this and she... To- yeah, so she, he really offended her and she was like, fuck it, I'm not coming back. Mm-hmm. And that was at the peak of her popularity. And so Australian Tori Amos fans would literally fly to Europe or to the States and follow her tours around. And this is when the dollar was about as shit as it is now. Sure. So when I say Tori Amos fans are intense, like they're... It's like the Grateful Dead, but like, or like some of the really intense Amity fans. Yeah, okay. Like, yeah. So the Tori Amos years, that was from like, oh, 14 to 17. Okay. But through that. Those are like my Pantera years. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I've, also because Tori Amos is, you know, she, she toured like a maniac and is very prolific. So you find, you know, Tori, she was, and she was still releasing new music. So there's a lot of Tori Amos to listen to. Yeah. And I met really good friends through that. Like my friend Matt, who was my first, like one of my first housemates, who I went to the formal with. Mm-hmm. Um, I met him because another friend at my high school was like, oh, you should talk to my friend Matt. He really likes Tori Amos. And he was this, you know, beautiful man. Like just, you know, this <laughs> effeminate art guy in yeah. Rockhampton. 
which is a, not a very, you know, effeminate, queer, friendly place. Not a, not, not, uh, a popular figure amongst the, no. uh, the masses in Rockhampton. No, no. But anyway, through my Tori Amos obsession, through this friend who had the brother, I'd, and my music obsession, we found all these other, I met all these other friends. And mm-hmm. at the time in Rocky, there's, the hotel's still there. It's called the Great Western. Yeah. And it has a rodeo arena out the back. And every Friday night, there are, there's like bull riding and camp drafting. Because Rockhampton, I don't know if you've been... I've never been to Rockhampton. Don't... I've heard no end about it from some people. Do not go. Okay. Um, <laughs> sorry, Rockhampton. I'll, I'll make up for that later. But Thank you. I've got Good s- advice. Oh, God. I'm going to get the mayor of Rockhampton sending me very outraged <laughs> Facebook messages. I do, because it's Fuck the yeah, same... Dude same mayor from when I did the news in Rocky. Oh, my um, God. Okay, so... She's very fancy, but... Well, apologies. Sorry, Margaret Strelo. <laughs> Please don't make me give my keys to the city back. Yep. I, didn't, I didn't get keys to the city. The, the brekkie team at the, at the like, radio station I did got the keys to the city. Yep. I was very miffed that as the newsreader, I... You didn't get them. I didn't get a set. It was very rude. But anyway, so this, this hotel, it's still there. Mm-hmm. Well, the Great Western, it's like ye olde western old-timey saloon bar out the front yep rodeo arena out the back and in the 2000s lee kernigan the country singer owned it Great. and so as a result of lee kernigan's music industry connections we would get touring bands through there so you would get like your grinspoon something for kate magic dirt missy higgins um all playing at the great western and the liquor licensing laws there were you could have licensed all ages shows sure so, as like at a fifteen year old you know as a fifteen year old my friends and I, um including my best friend at the time, Kate, brother with the internet, mm-hmm. like their parents were very uh lenient and would let us go to these shows on school nights, so we'd be fifteen going to see like something for Kate on a Thursday night, and it would just blow our minds or grin spoon, yeah, and it was great because. You know, they could play to like 3,000 people on a Thursday night and still get a crowd because in these regional cities, when a band comes of that kind of level, if you're getting Triple J airplay, people turn up. Yeah, because it's an event. Yeah, there's something to do. And it was great. I remember like the first show I went to, there was Red Hot Chili Peppers, which is, it's like seeing a sporting event. You're in the arena seats. Then the first like club show I went to was Super Jesus at the Great Western Hotel. Yeah, and it was great. Like we were yeah, all like awesome. right up the front, um, but yeah, we saw so many shows there. And oh, this is also when Channel V was doing like the detours, okay, um, where they would bring like like she had played in Emerald. They yeah, brought right. she had to this ten thousand person town. Mm-hmm. Um, but having these touring things come through was like such a big deal like it was such a big deal even when i remember friends all coming to rocky and they played bands would also play at like the uni bar in rocky but it was 18 plus and they're like as a 15 year old i looked about 10 so there was no (laughs) no chance of me sneaking in but when you live in a place that is i mean according to queenslanders it's not remote like it's not but compared to melbourne it's remote so having bands well that's Further than from here to Canberra. Yeah, so. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so... It's fucking ages away. It's insane. My workmates like to rile me up by saying I'm from North Queensland. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I'm from Central Queensland. Like, I'm not even near the pointy bit. Like, not That's even fucking, close. It is... Str- I, like, I honestly... Because I don't go up there. 
I feel like when I go to Brisbane, I'm like, man, I'm at the fucking peak of this country. Yeah, and that's what And everyone, I'm like halfway up. So people go, oh, so Rocky, is that like a couple of hours north of Brisbane? It's like, no, <laughs> not at all. Like yeah. many hours. And Townsville is about 10 hours, oh, maybe about eight hours drive north of Rocky. Yeah. So, you know, like the distances in Queensland are huge. So when, I guess it's back when record labels had more money too, they could afford to subsidize these crazy for sure tours but having bands that would go to these places it would just be such an event Mm. but because you were (coughs) so far away from everything you had to make your own fun in a way which you would have seen in canberra yeah for sure like i mean i really think uh developing a taste in music obviously i've spoken to a lot of people on this that are from melbourne being that this is where we both are mm. but um i think there's quite a di- there's quite a big like difference between people who come from a small town and then get to the big smoke at some point and people who have sort of been you know like grew up in carlton kind yep. of thing like because regardless you are always sort of absolutely that was going to happen for you whereas yeah. like uh, the reason that i got into this stuff like I'm sure most people of my age got into it was because like, you know, we were fat dorks with long hair and like the things that were different. I mean, like I played sports and I like sports and whatever, but I definitely wasn't as good as everyone else. Also like, you know, my parents got divorced. So that meant that I had to listen to new metal. Yep. You know, my parents are <coughs> revoltingly in love with one another after like 30 plus years. And I, the still listened. I know they're the Von Traps. I, I had no, I had no excuse for my new metal, but so That's being fine. in Rocky and even being in Emerald, I should say like metal and aggressive music is huge in yeah. regional areas. Um, we go to Emerald. <laughs> yeah. It's, and we're going to go up there. Yeah. It's, it's huge. And I mean, but like you look at Parkway drive, the fact that they had that little scene in like 2004, mm. it's because metal, is huge in yeah. regional areas. And that's why, like, Rocky actually had, I think my first, like, exposure, my first exposure to metal would have been, like, disturbed on that. Um, you sampler. On that sampler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then in Rocky, because there was such a, disp- you know, there's only so many people there. Um, there was this meeting started by the council, and I would have been about grade 12, which is really like, let's get a, some sort of music scene happening in Rocky, like sure. find some venues that would let bands play. The PCYC, ironically, no one could put on gigs there because the higher fee was too much. Yeah. Like they wanted Standard to... Standard of fucking youth centers. But... Yeah, exactly. Yep. So there was nowhere to really play. And so we found these pubs. But at this one meeting, I met all these people that who had, would become my friends for the next five years. Well, a lot of them were older and heaps of them were into metal. Mm-hmm. And the council organized this big concert where the Butterfly Effect headlined in like 2005. Yep. Arguably the peak of their, their fame. 100%. Yep. So that was, a, that was a, you know, time. But then the support <laughs> band was this band called Enlightened by Darkness. Fucking sick. So, I love that name. <laughs> they, well, it was great. The, the singer was this fat engineering student. Um... And he We're was, also really putting 
overweight people to task. I know, sorry. Like, I'm a little bit overweight. Look, it's just how it hey, is. I am too. I feel like um, you know, is, it's chill. But I, I just have to I have to describe this because it's just like the, <laughs> the visual element of Enlightened by Darkness. So, fat, dorky, and... Oh, Rockhampton's Uni has a really good engineering degree. Okay. So, there's lots of young engineers in sure. Rocky. So, anyway, fat engineering student and then your token long hair, the guy who played guitar at the you know, local music shop mm-hmm. um, where I got guitar lessons. They were all really lovely to me, which was good. And then the drummer, he was fine. He was fine. But anyway, every... every <laughs> so, the drummer was fine. He was bearded. He was not <laughs> fo- the focus of this group, despite yeah. being arguably the most talented member. Sure. Anyway, engineering student um, would start every set He'd be like, are you ready to be enlightened by darkness? And then the, they'd always start with the same song and the riff was like... Yeah, so it was sort of like death metal. Like, <laughs> uh, it wasn't new metal. It was definitely death metal, melodic death metal. Sure. With a little bit of like black Which metal. Which was also very popular at yeah, the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So anyway, and then like their stage show amped up a little bit um, so that there's a big meatworks in Rocky. And they played this big, you know, there'd be the big youth concert every year that the council would put on. Mm -hmm. And then they played the year after that I I met them. They, you know, made it onto the lineup. And then uh, the singer at this point, still fat, had grown his hair out a little bit, lost his glasses, got a pig's heart that one of his mates from the meatworks had given him, did the whole Ozzy Osbourne, like, biting the head off a bat thing, but with the pig's heart, like into the oh pig's heart. God. This is an all-ages concert with, like, 15-year-old girls there to see gyroscope or whatever. Sure. Pegs the pig's heart into the crowd. Yeah. So that went well. But, so, yeah, you had the Enlightened by Darkness dudes. Um, I reckon as a 15 to 16-year-old in that crowd, I would have thought that was fucking sick. Yeah, I was like, what <laughs> is this? Like, I was yeah. not even what is this in a, oh, my God, as if way, but more like, this is a, an amazing spectacle. Where yeah. did these people come from? Why does this dude have a pig's heart? Why does this, yeah, but even just, just he looked like a dude, like this dude looked like the kid who'd been picked on forever and now he just comes out. He could actually do like really good, like he was a great metal band vocalist, mm-hmm. would do like amazing, like, and then like dude, proper, fucking sick. yeah, very um, like King Diamond bits, but with actual like death metal growly yeah it was That's actually great. they were a great band they used to play what was that uh festival like that metal stock one the one in scone played that yeah been so there. they played been that there, played it yeah so they they played metal stock when that <laughs> maybe was i played it at the same time as i wouldn't be surprised this is like i think they broke up 2008 2009 maybe dude and part of why they broke up was i might have played with you, very, by their replacement bass player murdered his girlfriend in a suicide <laughs> pact. Rocky is grim. I could do a whole podcast about Rocky stories. <laughs> and that, yeah, they broke up because <coughs> they apparently had a suicide pact, him and his 17-year-old girlfriend. Jesus he was like Christ. 30. And he killed her and then was like, oh, nah, fuck. I don't want to kill myself. Uh, That's Light by darkness. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so light by much. It was like the the, the Varg Vikernes yeah. sort of murder, murder thing going on. But... Anyway, also that. very popular. Also, also very popular. <laughs> but then I, yeah, so then, you know, there was this internet forum where I met a lot of people, mm-hmm. um, like just uniting because it's not just rocky. There's lots of little towns around. And when you're a teenager and can't drive, the internet is still like quite a unifying force. And you'd find people on the 100%, internet. Yeah. You didn't 
know we're like two suburbs over. And so through that, I made all these friends, all these metalhead friends in Rocky, who then got me into um, stuff like Converge and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I missed out an important music part here. So I finished high school. Yes. Um, The Tori Amos years lifted. And... um, The headphones came out. The headphones came off. (laughs) And I was just... I wanted to be a full-time musician and I wanted to be a producer. And... I as we all did as we all did mm-hmm. and then um I was just like I was not very good at, like I, I was really badly depressed actually looking back at it but sure. um but that was my thing and I was very much like whatever mum I need to get a good OP <laughs> which is like the ATAR of Queensland I'm sure. gonna I found this course which is the QT contemporary music course and a lot of good musicians had come out of it and it's audition entry mm-hmm. so I was like that's the course I'm gonna do Um, And then I met this guy who would go on to be like my first serious boyfriend, who was a great drummer, also from Rocky, who was also doing that course. So like, oh, great. Well, that dude's there too. Great. But anyway, so I graduated, moved to Brisbane, and then I had a gap year where all I did was work in like an RSL and play music. So I would be really good and pass my audition at the end of the year to go in second year out of school. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I did that. I used the audition. They had two streams. They had performance, which is what it sounds like, and production, which is songwriting and engineering. And I submitted a folio for that and did a live performance, got in on both, chose production. And so at this point, I was like 18, like, oh, my dreams have all come true. Yeah. And meanwhile, like my birthday is at the end of the year. So... I'd been like hanging out all year to be able to go to gigs in Brisbane. Like I'd sneak into heaps of them. Like Brisbane was the big smoke. If Rocky was the big smoke, yeah, this was Brisbane's like Brisbane's absolute chaos. It's, it's like New York. Yeah, I was just. It felt yeah. like it felt just like it was like <coughs> horizons are endless in Brisbane. You know, sure. it's yeah, ridiculous. But <laughs> did that. So I was about eighteen at this stage. Had mm-hmm. my my boyfriend at the time, who I managed to like wear down into eventually dating me. Um, he was in a band through people he'd met at at the same degree. Um, and one of his bandmates was Wayne Swan's daughter. Um, impressive. Well, we went to some like, and she was like best friends with the Veronicas. And so I went to some very odd house parties at Wayne Swan's house in suburban Brisbane. Strange connection. I know. And there'd be like, (laughs) and her boyfriend was in this band (coughs) called Repeat Offender. They're like a pop punk band. Sounds and, yeah, totally different to well, enlightened by darkness. Yes, um, he was from Harvey Bay. Actually, this dude, he's a, he's a nice dude. But anyway, so I, during this time in my life, I had this older boyfriend. Not, I mean, I was eighteen. He was like twenty two, mm-hmm. and we go to these parties at his bandmate's house, at Wayne Swan's house, and occasionally Wayne Swan would be there. He was really pleasant, like yeah. wearing like a like a I don't know a butterfly effect shirt or something, and there'd be. His, these parties where there'd be Brisbane celebrities like the Veronicas. This is at the peak of the Veronicas fame. Sure. The Butterfly Effect dudes were there. The Melodicy dudes are there. Two of them are now in Dead Letter Circus. Yeah. And it would, yeah, it was, it was very strange. You were, hang, you were just hanging with the industry. Yeah, with people. the, in, basically. And Wayne Swan. You just worked um, yourself into the industry. Well, yeah, but the band she was in that my ex-boyfriend was in was not very good. It was like, imagine Paramore mixed with Deftones. Okay. It was not very good, but they kept getting all these um, great breaks because of the people she knew. And mm-hmm. even my boyfriend at the time didn't really like playing it. I was like, 
dude, this is not really, he's like, oh, it's, you know, we get to see some cool things, you know. But at the same time, I got into this degree and it sucked. Right. Like I was one of three girls in the production stream. So like 40, 30 dudes, three girls. Sure. The engineers were all baby boomer burnouts who were really like, they didn't get a, a, a chance in the music industry. So why should we? They didn't yeah. want to help you. Um, Aaron Swan's boyfriend, um, his band landed a spot on the Butterfly FX tour when they had that number one album. Sure. It's like a 35 date tour around Australia. Mm-hmm. And he had like a performance exam, which would involve him like going in and playing bass guitar for 10 minutes. And he was like, I have to miss this. Can we reschedule this exam for like two days later? Um, Cause I'm going to be on this tour, like industry experience. And they're like, no. Nah. So I had to fail right. the subject. Insane. I am. Um, will at some point talk to a friend of mine for this podcast. That is a, a, a teacher at a, TAFE doing music industry type stuff, mm. but I cannot still, and I, I hope that that conversation helps give me some clarity to this, but I don't think I have ever spoken to a person who has done a music industry related mm. degree yep. that has positive things mm. to say about it. Cause I did one as well. I did a similar thing. I went to CIT, which is the TAFE in Canberra mm. to do the same thing, to do audio engineering. Yeah. Um, as similar to yourself, when I finished school, I was like, I'm just going to play death metal forever. Mm. And then I was like, oh, wait, you don't make any money. So I'll I'll be an engineer. I can produce records. I've done demos on my cassette recorder in my garage. Yep. And <clears throat> um, similarly, like, I got into it. And then as soon as I was there, I was like, this fucking sucks. Mm. Like, I'm learning how to roll leads. Like there was a, uh, there was a straight up exam about rolling leads. And I was like, QT wasn't that This is chaos. We did have to learn. We did have to learn how to roll leads, but (coughs) the studio was just not up to scratch. I mean, the one thing I will say about that degree, it's like, I got to learn Ableton. I got to learn logic. I got to learn pro tools and I learned my way around all those three things and they've proven handy. But anyway, I think I had a bad intake. Um, the year below me had some great musicians. The year above me had some you great musicians. You were stuck with all these grumpy guns. I was just... A, well, the teachers were grumpy and just obstructionist, but I was there with a whole heap of, like, Hillsong kids. So kids who'd gone to, like, Hillsong awesome. or the Hillsong rip-offs. Yeah. And they would listen to, like, the Hillsong version of fucking Foo Fighters. So imagine how, like, insipid that is. Yeah. And it was terrible. And they'd be like, you go to the valley? Like, I hear there's druggos there. Like you're in a music degree and you don't go to the valley to see music. What the hell is wrong with you? You're in a music degree and you aren't doing drugs. Yeah, What's exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh my god. So, but anyway, my poor little heart. Like I combined that with Brisbane. It, it isn't the case now, but the arts funding and all the gigs and all the bookings used to be controlled by this cabal of people mm-hmm. who really like to think they were the people who started Big Sound. Big Sound now is different to how it used to be. Yeah. But it was very much like we're the industry. You yeah. Know, and if you aren't our friends, and it's Brisbane, it's such a small town, but the combination of QT music sucking and my ex-boyfriend's terrible band getting like great, great breaks, plus the music, Brisbane music industry yeah. being jerks, I just went, you know what, fuck it. I had a, I had a month, I got maybe like a quarter of the way through first semester, second year of my music degree 
and I had like a crisis and was like, I can't do this degree anymore. And I have to change, I have to choose subjects or something. And I had one elective and I chose like journalism 101 because like my aunt and uncle at the time were journalists, Mm -hmm. but mostly it fit in my subject bracket and I didn't have to get up too early to go to the class. So I was like, fine, I'll do it. Anyway, I loved it. And the journalism courses at QUT, they drop you in it really early. Like the dropout rate is huge because they make you interview people and edit audio and like cut up, you know, TV interviews really early. So if you don't like it, you figure it out and you get out. But I loved it and then was like, I've got to do this now. Like, fuck music. Music can die in a hole. Yeah. My heart's broken. I'm leaving. The dream's over. And my GPA was so bad. But it was at the same uni, so I went and met with the head of journalism and said, I really want to do this, but my GPA is awful. And he was like, oh, don't worry. My undergrad GPA was uh, terrible too. I spent too much time at the pub. Yeah. Come on in, love. <laughs> um, and that was it. And so, yeah. but then I didn't, like I'd gone from just shredding on guitar and playing guitar for two hours a day, every day for like from when I was 14 to when I was about 19 to not touching it for a year. Yeah. Like I didn't go any to any gigs. I was just so completely destroyed and burnt out by all this music industry rubbish. And then I, you know, I got super into journalism and was like reading the news at Four Triple Z in Brisbane. I was doing heaps of like unpaid stuff and internships just to get my skills up. And I did an internship at ABC Rocky. Um, and I must have impressed them because they're like, oh hey our producer or whatever's going on her honeymoon for six weeks. Do you want to come move back up here for six weeks and produce? And I was like, sure. This paid me like a ball of money compared to my student life. (laughs) So I moved back there and picked up some new friends because I was still friends with Rocky people from the forums, Rocky Metalheads. And that's when like the Parkway Drive Horizons era had kind of crested. Sure. So it was around the time that like Converges... um, Axe to Fall came out, Mm -hmm. Horizons came out, and then I just sort of fell deep into that and being like, particularly the Parkway dudes, being like, these people Um, just... Also, sorry to interrupt you, but glad you tweeted about Parkway. Yes. Being like Byron Bay, which (laughs) is like, you know, about the same size as Rocky, much more picturesque and much less remote. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. Look... I've been to Byron. Rocky's claim to fame is it's the beef capital of Australia. It's where awesome. all the cows, like from all the cattle stations, great, great yep, get can, taken to Rocky and then <coughs> slaughtered en masse. Mm-hmm. Um, but to see these dudes basically create a scene in their own town was just huge for people in all regional towns and cities all over Australia. Like, I really don't think it can be understated. So all these people inspired, and even Amity, because Amity are from Gympie, mm-hmm. which is family and give yeah. shout outs to shout out Uncle to Dave. <laughs> so Amity would tour Queensland heaps, Parkway would tour Queensland heaps. So getting these heavier bands playing and you'd just turn up because there's nothing else on and you'd go, oh, this is actually really cool. And it gave people in these smaller towns the idea that, well, we could actually play this ridiculous music and people will turn up because A, there's nothing else to do. B, it's a social thing. Mm. So yeah, I felt... Through that, through some of my Rocky friends and they'd be like, oh, you should meet some of my Brisbane friends who I hadn't met. And it was all that kind of, you know, the band, The Gift Horse, 
Um, know them very well. Yeah, so friends with loved loved the gift horse, and so I fell deep into that where people were playing in bands and saying, you know what, let's just make an album. We'll go to Via Studios, like a rehearsal studio, record it with our mate, and then it's done. None of this, oh, you have to sign to a label, you have to impress this booking agent to get shows. Mm -hmm. Being like, oh, we can't get a gig, let's just invite some people over our house. Like, it was just completely different to um, what had made me fall out of love with music, I suppose. Sure. Um, All I wanted to do before was play and you know, meet people and they were just like, no, sorry, music industry says no. Whereas the punk and hardcore scene were like... Yeah. It was like what it was when I was in Rocky as a, <coughs> as a teenager when I would be... I'd open a death metal show with, like, Missy Higgins covers, basically. <laughs> but that's that's also what I did in high school, playing, like, Missy Higgins and crowded house covers at pubs for what I thought was crazy money at the time. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so discovering metal and hardcore was just huge that was around about when i was 20 21 yeah right okay um, it's a bit later than yeah i was a late usual. bloomer yeah uh new metal look the tori amos years took up a lot of my yeah you, you spent a lot of time slugging it out with her <laughs> yeah i didn't but i also feel i didn't you know i'm maybe reading too much into it but i didn't need punk and hardcore then because i didn't really have anything to rebel against okay whereas discovering like all the diy kind of stuff after the music industry had so completely bummed me out that was your rebellion. It was my rebellion. It was really yeah. just, well, why can't you? Like, if your only option, if your only barrier is money, just, like, drink fewer beers or get another job or do something to, to, to make that money. Yeah. Um, and it was huge. I know. Um, but, like, you guys with I Exist, all my mates loved I Exist in Rocky. Thank you. I remember um, a mate of mine <coughs> picking me up after I had moved back to Rocky to read the news. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, New I Exist, it was your second album. Like going to JB Hi-Fi and Rocky to get the new I Exist I'm CD. I'm so stoked that yeah. I Exist is available in Rocky. Yeah, because of JB Hi-Fi. Okay, yeah. Um, Mad. Yeah, there was no Thanks, JB, JB Hi-Fi when I was a teenager, but they, there was a big new shopping centre that turned up. Yep. Yeah, so, with the, so yeah, that happened, discovering, having to go back to Rocky for a little while made yeah. me do that. And my friends played in a band called Downpour. Mm-hmm. Um, I know them as well. Yeah, yeah. So they, um, yeah, I spent a lot of time hanging out with them and watching them play and playing more music like that. But yeah, it's what got me back into playing music again after yeah. giving it away. I think I, I, I think I had a thing too where like when I finished school, I was so um, determined and insistent, much to like my mother's horror. Yeah, that I would just be <laughs> doing music. And specifically that I would be playing like stupid metal. And then um, I had a similar thing where like I went to school to do it uh, to have like a piece of paper that said I could play drums or play guitar or whatever. And then like six months into it, like I I obviously didn't last as long Mm. as you, but like I got like six months into it and I was like, this is fucked. I can't, I can't pretend like this is interesting. I can't pretend like I want to do this. Um, which is funny, mm. being that I've spent the rest of my rest life, of your like, life on the but side doing pursuing other people's, it. Like you look at the, the music <coughs> industry and recording as a subset of all of human existence, right? Yeah. So recorded music has only existed for like what since the nineteen tens. Yeah. Compare that to the like the history of human existence and music's role in that. It's so tiny. And then compare the music industry's golden years from like 
the 60s to the 90s. Yeah. It's also just such a tiny, tiny subject subset. And I feel my family upbringing where it was like, okay, cool, you can play music. You also have to do the washing up though. Yeah, Like yeah, that yeah. doesn't... Well, it's not some mystical God-given skill. No. The thing for me was really that just like doing it, I guess similar to yourself, was that I was so disheartened by how shitty my experience was doing it and how I could see while I was doing it, I was being taught things that I was learning quicker by myself at home yep. and also achieving more. Like when they were like, we're going to book a show. And I was like, I can book fucking shows. I've booked yep. shows. Yeah. And I've played shows bigger than the one that you're booking and you're yep. a, like government financed institution trying to teach people how to do this shit and I can do it better myself. Mm. And then, so I think I had a similar thing where like when I left, I didn't want anything to do with that shit. So then I spent that, I think that's kind of when I started playing, like when I stopped playing death metal because of whatever and I sort of was doing hardcore more because I felt the same thing where like, Hardcore and stuff like that had this whole DIY thing and it didn't have like, at at least at the time... Industry. What I was experiencing, mm. it didn't have like, oh, you could be on a record label. That I didn't even know that was a thing really because it was like, mm. this is the first time wasn't... where people were like, let's do demos and release them. Whereas yeah, when I was in exactly. a metal band, it was like, we can't release the demos. No, exactly. Demos. I remember like seeing Amity play at Rosie's. Did you ever play at Rosie's? Yes. Was that? Yeah. I remember Amity's, like, I'd see them play around, and then I remember their, like, Severed Ties album launch at Rosie's. Mm-hmm. And, but, like, their regular shows where, like, all of them would just be wasted on so many things. And you'd be like, yeah, man, cool, what a good time. Yeah. And then seeing them playing at, like, fucking Rod Laver Arena or whatever they're doing now. Like, yeah. that was just... And even Parkway now, they've got, like, you know, confetti cannons and, like, it's, that was just crazy. so completely out of what I ever thought even like seeing Parkway go from don't close your eyes not not don't close your eyes killing with a smile yeah to horizons I remember just hearing horizons being like whoa <laughs> whoa this is such it's a, a crazy step up. jump yeah but yeah the whole hardcore thing and I think the internet is brought into it too like people yeah. can have a sook about oh the internet's ruined funding music and the way I sort of see it now and talking to older people who were signed to record labels in the 90s they didn't necessarily get that much money then. So now at least no one's getting money. Like the bands <laughs> never got much money or their wi- the, the middleman and whatever got money. Mm. Whereas now no one's getting any money. I don't know if that's better, but... I mean... I, I mean... I don't know the legitimacy of any part of the music industry. Well, <laughs> yeah. Whereas at least now, like I think it's super cool that with my Sailor Mouth stuff, at any given time of my choosing, I can log in and see... I mean, there's there's a month delay with the service I use, but mm. if it's Bandcamp, I can see what's been downloaded, what's been streamed. For Spotify, iTunes, whatever, minus the month delay, I can see how many times a song has been streamed. I can see what countries people have been in. I can yeah, see sure. what's been purchased. Like That, to me, is a fair trade-off for being like, what, you'd have to sign to some distributor. You'd never see that money again. It would end up at... JB Hi-Fi Rockhampton, and it yeah. may or may not sell. So JB Hi-Fi Rockhampton, you owe me at least one CD. One worth, one CD sale. One CD's worth of I exist money. Yeah, but <coughs> I think, but yeah. So discovering hardcore was like, um, 
yeah, it it was it was I came to it later, but it was pivotal, and it was what yeah. made me go back to making my own music again. Yeah, cool. Um, which I started doing when I finished my degree. Yeah. Um, so I finished my degree. I also, um, in amongst all of that, I have bipolar, and I was diagnosed mm-hmm. with it in my last year of my degree. Um, Which I'm sure it would have been a fantastic time. Oh, to it was be a horrible. I had glandular. I had glandular fever, then bipolar. It was not a good year. But I finished my goddamn degree, and, um, you know, I really had a lot of feelings around like, oh, if I get medicated for this, is this going to like medicate out my creativity? Am I just going to become this emotionless? you know, zombie. And then a really good friend of mine at the time, bless her, was like, look, name the last time you've like written a song or done anything like creative and finished it unmedicated. I was Mm. like, oh, it's a pretty good point. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it was in amongst all of, you know, discovering hardcore and finishing my degree, I was really quite unwell looking Mm -hmm. back. And it really... There's all this annoying mythology around bipolar, particularly about it being like, oh, creative people get it. And, you know, the upside of it is you get, you know, bipolar people are so creative and it's just this gift. I'm like, I would rather not have it. I'd rather just like work in a bag and not be on like (coughs) meds that have made me stack on like 20 kilos and Mm. not have like this fucking annoying life situation. But it is what it is. But... But yeah, so actually getting well from bipolar also helped me get back into music because when I was unwell, it was like, it was, I was just not doing anything. Yeah. I would be like up for a week. Um, I do a lot of driving, do a lot of like journalism-y work and audio editing and writing. No sleeping, no sleeping ever. Yeah, well. Um, yeah, it was just, and I was explaining to someone that like being manic is what I imagine being on ecstasy and speed at the same time would be like. Sure. Which is fine if you are like if you carve some time out of your day to take those drugs together and have a good time. Yep. But not when you're like trying to live a life and your brain yeah. just goes off on its own tangent. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I had to get that sorted, and then as you do, as you do <laughs> um, bless my doctor who was like, no, really, you are insane here are some here's a list an objective list of things that you have done that are completely weird and not normal and I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. all right done them. all right that's a really <coughs> fair point i will do the things you're asking but mm. after that thank god i sorted that out early and then got a job in toowoomba working for a website a news website when the queensland floods came in so i did interviews and coverage of that and that was really, you know, because there's this whole, my dad doesn't like journalists. And mm-hmm. so he really was like, you know, journalists are just vultures preying on people, being annoying. But you'd speak to, like, because people died in those floods, in the yeah. southeast Queensland floods. People saw houses of their neighbours being like, lift, you know how Queensland houses are on stilts? Yeah, yeah. Floodwaters would come through, lift a house off stilts, and then carry it away and people would drown. Like, yeah, it was insane. It was terrible. But you talk to these people and... It kind of felt, you know, my, my workmate and I would get in the car every morning and be like, we're dregs, we're the worst people, we're going to go bother these people who've had a really traumatic event happen to them. For sure. And then you'd get there and if people didn't want to talk to you, you wouldn't make them. 
But then often they would like talk to you and they tell you like these amazing stories and want to get it off their chests. Yeah. So that was great. But I did that for a while and then a job came up at Hot FM, the aforementioned Hot FM, but the Rocky version, Hot FM and CFM doing the news there. Mm -hmm. So, and my brother and sister at that time were at the same school I was at. (coughs) Mm-hmm. So I went back and thought, I'll hang out with all my metalhead Rocky friends, live there really cheaply, look after my brother and sister, like sort of. Um, it'll be great. And so this job, um, when you're at, in journalism school, there's lots of, oh, the ABC so prestigious. Mm-hmm. And commercial radio is not even floated as an option. Sure. Um, and I never listened to it when I was in Rocky because I was too busy listening to Tori Amos. So. I didn't factor in the fact that commercial radio has boomed into every tradie, every hairdresser, every shop, yeah. every... And so the listener figureship figures are huge, and I'm really glad I didn't know that when I started because I wasn't that great when I... I wasn't, wasn't terrible, mm-hmm. but I definitely got better because I'd been trained like ABC-style broadcasting mm-hmm. where you have to be very serious and everything is like Sermon on the Mount sure. kind of thing. Whereas commercial radio, you've got to sound friendly but authoritative, okay. which is really hard. So I did the breakfast shift, so I'd be up at 3.30 every morning, drive like the five minutes to work, get in, um, then get in, do all the, like ring up the cops. So I would do the news for Rocky Gladstone and then also Mackay and the Wit Sundays. And Mackay is like four hours drive up the road. So my catchment area was the size of Victoria. Yeah, that's insane. Just so big and my so a bunch of people knew your voice yeah um, you were up at three yeah well, but because i would do i'd be up at three thirty, and then my first bullet my bulletins would be 6 30 7 30 8 30 10 11 uh-huh. and i would have to do all the interviews i would have to do write all my own scripts i'd have to find the news in order to find people to interview okay. and then i'd have to voice it and i'd have to do different ones so the Mackay with sunday one would be different the Rocky Gladstone one would be different. And each bulletin, like the 637, the 8th, would have to be different. So it was just the most frenzied operation. And yeah. fortunately, they were pre-recorded because I couldn't read the news in Mackay and Rocky at the same time. So that kind of helped. But it was just the most insane workload. Oh, and I worked remotely. So yeah. my boss was in Townsville. My office was a, like a soundproof windowless studio. And I had the breakfast team the CFM breakfast team in the building and then the Hot FM breakfast team were in another building and then the other breakfast teams were in Mackay. Yeah, right. But I had to always do my crosses over to have chats with them. So they'd be like, oh, you know, we... And they're always FM breakfast teams. So it's like, oh, we've got Shazza and Dickhead in the morning, you know, bringing you the hot hits. Oh, we're going to go talk to Sophie in the newsroom. Sophie, what's happening? Yeah. And then you're like, oh, look, there's been a truck turnover <laughs> on the Bruce Highway. Just go really easy through there. It should be clearing up. So but... you were the dampener on these ridiculous yeah. programs. They'd be like, yeah, we're going to wax dickheads pubes on air. It's going to be crazy. <laughs> and then you get me being like a thousand. The, the roads up there are really bad. Of and course. it was the peak of the mining boom. Yeah. So you had lots of shift workers who shouldn't be driving because they're sleep deprived, running off the road and killing everyone. It got, it got a bit doing scary. Speed. Yeah, doing <laughs> speed, doing meth, meth. True. Rocky also has a bikey chapter because mm-hmm. um, it has, it was the one shout of the... Shout outs to them. Yeah, shout outs to the rebels. Um, thank you for giving me so much news over the years. <laughs> um, 
like, yeah, I could literally do another hour with Rocky stories. It was just people... Bolstering your yeah. journalism career. Well, people would go, what do you even, like, do? Like, what is even in the news? And I'd be like, oh, you have no idea the crazy shit that goes on. Like, my favourite was there was a siege. Um, I have many favourites. This is up there. A dude had a go at his wife with an illegal machete and then he had a pacemaker so he couldn't be tasered. So then there was a siege. It shut down, like, the whole street they couldn't get him out and then he was getting a bit hungry so he said to the cops get me a zinger meal from kfc put it on the like front like veranda and i'll come out and we'll you know you can arrest me whatever uh anyway cops went down got him the zinger meal typical queensland police ineptitude placed it in front of like the cat door so the dude just like reached his hand out, got the zinger, oh pulled it God. in, and was like, no, nah, sucked in. I'm this here. Crazy. Another dude who stole a bunch of guns, held up a car, then the car ran out of petrol in the hint like in the in the road between Rocky and Yapoon. Yes, mm-hmm. there's a place called Yapoon. Very good. Um and then the dog squad dude tracked him down and then the gunman said, If you don't leave me alone, I'll shoot the dog so the <laughs> Policeman ran ran away. Then they lost the guy. So the next morning, he'd been like missing for eighteen hours. I got back on for my shift, and I rang up the local sergeant and said, "Have you found the guy?" And they're like, oh, "Tried to basically get out of talking to me." Police chatter you, yeah. Yeah, and then I said, "All right, well, I will put in my six thirty bulletin that you found the gunman, and people in these areas need not worry about the dude with a bunch of guns strapped to his back. I'll put that in." And they're like, "Okay, okay, okay." They had no idea where he was. Later that day, someone thought it might be a good idea to check his house. Yeah. So they went over his house. He was sitting at home in his boxes watching TV. Jesus Meanwhile, this Christ. manhunt was like... <laughs> but yeah, it was great. But it meant... It was it was really interesting. It was a good job in a lot of ways. Like the pay was not great. And I mm-hmm. supplemented my income by going back to acoustic covers and getting paid like half my week's wage in like two hours of Missy Higgins and Crowded House and Birds of Tokyo. That's sick. I know, in cash, being like, why do I have this other job? <laughs> and then I went and did one set and they'd be like, oh, and I was like a local celebrity as well. They'd be like, and Sophie from the CFM newsroom sings Missy sick. Higgins. And then this one woman came up, she's like, oh, you do the news on the radio, love, don't you? I was like, yes. She goes, oh, I really like, like we used to have this old, this other chick who did the news, but I really like how you don't sound like you think you're better than us. It's like, well, that's... See, one of the locals. That's, well, yeah, but it was hard. Like it's kind of like reading the news is when I quit after two years to move to Melbourne, my boss had saved my first ever bulletin I did mm-hmm. and she sent it back to me and I was just like cringing so hard hearing how <laughs> shit I was, but... Um, yeah, it was it was fun being back in Rocky. Like I had friends there. The hours were really hard, and because I was on such hardcore bipolar meds, that mm. also made it really really hard. Yeah. Not to me- like shift work is hard on anyone, but like having the sort of medication that puts you to sleep really easy is also bad. Yeah. But you'd have to turn up every morning and get in there with your like radio voice and. See if I can still do it like, you know, you get the news theme music coming in yeah. on, it was something like suitably newsy on of, on CFM, but Hot FM, it was like a sample from that Fat Boy Slim song. They're like, right here, right now. <laughs> awesome. I know. Topical. Such great um, commercial radio, but like, with the latest news for the Central Highlands and Coalfields, I'm Sophie Benjamin. <laughs> um, and then you'd go, and then because it's commercial radio, there'd be an ad in the middle of the news. So you'd be like, 
People have died. There's a car crash. Bikers have shot people. Sport next. Holding V8 utes. They're fucking <laughs> sick. For like 30 seconds and you'd like stand there, catch your breath and go back for the sports. Yeah. But yeah, it was... It, and you get to know the community, obviously, because you're having to ring everyone up all the time and... Mm you know, hear all their stories and confirm, is this completely mental story? Like, did that actually happen? Yeah. And you'd be like, yeah, yeah, it would be. So, and I got to go back and speak to my old high school. So that was, that was fun. Local hero. Local hero, local girl, done good. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it was funny also being back. Like I would also occasionally do the news for Emerald because mm-hmm. um, it was just outside of the Rocky board. It, like, and so mum and, and dad would hear me if they were in, Rocky. Sure. Um, and dad, you know, sometimes they'd hear me at home in Emerald. And mum always kept her maiden name. So professionally, her surname is not Benjamin. Yeah. Um, and it got quite funny because she works for the local MP out there. And I'd always have to, like, she'd go to, like, tell me something had happened. Which, like, oh, I can't tell you. I'm like, mum, it's off the record. I went pretty much, no, I just can't trust you. Just can't trust journalists. <laughs> like, excuse you. You're going to announce Miss, this like, on the morning radio. Yeah, it's like Miss Media Watch. Yeah. Like, I don't think that's 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 going <laughs> to happen at all. But yeah, it was... My social skills atrophied, though, because I lived alone. Yeah. I worked remotely, so I was on the phone to my boss. In a box. Yeah. And I would just listen to music through the PA speakers in my office. Mm-hmm. Like, not Hot FM music, but my own music. Um, and I knew my friends, and whenever I spoke to people, I was interviewing them. <coughs> so my social skills completely atrophied because those were my only human interactions for two years. Yeah. So when I moved to Melbourne and worked in an office and had to do small talk, it was exhausting. <laughs> like it was, I, I don't care about your fucking weekend. Like, yeah. Oh, put me back in that little box. Put me back in the box where I could like read the news about bikies. It's awesome. <coughs> but, um, but it was good. The girl I, I handed it over to, I did like a big handover and was mm-hmm. like, here you go. This job is insane. Your learning curve is vertical. Have yeah. fun. By the way, and like I filled her in on the bikey situation mm-hmm. and all the weirdo things in local politics. Because that was also like the Campbell Newman election campaign. Right. Um, his first one, um, which was... For those who don't know, an absolute psychopath. Oh, and we saw it coming and it was just... Even trying to interview him versus interviewing Anna Bly, you know, you would ask her a question and she would actually answer the question. He would just not. But it was really dispiriting. Um, Like in my house, dad is quite right wing. Mum is quite left wing. And they've managed to happily be together Mm -hmm. despite that. So I always fancied myself, you know, a, a bit weird politically along that. But Working there made me be like, I don't think compulsory voting is a good idea anymore because you'd rock up on polling day for the Queensland state election and people would be like, oh, I'm voting for Julia Gillard. You're like, are you fucking kidding? Yeah. Like, they wouldn't know any of the local candidates or they'd be like, oh, I'm voting for Labor. And you go, do you know who the Labor candidate is? Oh, nah. Yeah. Like, just insane. And people would spend so much money on their campaigns and all that stuff for just ignorant idiots to not even notice or care. Yeah. And Rocky's a big labor town as well. So it was interesting seeing like the big thing, Anna Bly privatized the railways in Queensland and Rocky's also a big rail hub. So she lost a lot of union votes. Sure. But they also had the mayoral election at the same time and they had all these candidates who were just idiots. (laughs) 
And so they had to get the old mayor out of retirement, who's now the current mayor. She was running a bed and breakfast. And they're like, these people can't win this election. They're all insane. Um, And they got her out of retirement. And she's like a a nice, reasonable lady. Um, And she's still the mayor there now. One of the the, um, candidates was this guy called Dominic Doblo. And he got, you know, the Tom Petty song, Won't Back Down? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, like, and I won't back down. He re-recorded it to say, Dominic Dablo won't back down. Oh Rewrote the entire God. song, recorded it, and then Tom Petty's lawyer sent him a cease and desist. <laughs> and we're like, can you not? Yeah, can please. You not? But he, he also has, like, lots of great ideas. Like, he wants to turn, like, he wants to turn, like, make a big-ass dam on the other side of Rocky despite there not being enough water. Mm-hmm. He created a community garden just to piss off the council. Like, the council didn't give approval for the community garden and he just made it. Like, just complete insanity. Yeah. So, yeah, being back in regional Queensland doing politics and news was just so, you know, it, it gives you... I look at the journalists who work in the press gallery now um, and I think it's such a different political experience. Yeah. Being in the press gallery, working in Parliament House compared to being in a country where your local member probably lives down the road from you, shops at the same Woolworths. Yeah. I had the local member in Rocky dodging my calls one day and her assistant said she was in Canberra. Yeah. I said, well, that's very interesting because it's not a parliamentary sitting week. Yeah. So why is she in Canberra? Was like, She's just chilling. It's a great she place just, to go. You just... Anyway, <laughs> so I'd had a bad day. I was like, I'm just going to go home. I'm going to stop off at Woolies to get something to eat and then I'll go home. Bumped into her at Woolies. And I was like, oh, hi, <laughs> local member. Your assistant said you were in Canberra. Yeah. That's interesting because it's not a cinema. You could just see her face was like, oh, <coughs> fuck. Sinking. And then, you know, I thought I'd double down and asked her the questions she was avoiding and she couldn't. Like, I didn't have, I could have recorded it on my phone and got grabs, but mm-hmm. um, I thought that would maybe be pushing it. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you could see she was just like, oh, fucking God damn it. Yeah. I try I thought my minion had taken care of this. Buggered this up. I know, I know. So yeah, basically Rock yeah, Rockhampton, you know, it was formative professionally, formative musically. Mm-hmm. Um you know, Tori Amos aside. Yeah. I got to meet Tori Amos last year and it was just It's hectic. It was hectic because she does meet and greets and good on her. Like she's always done free meet and greets. <laughs> Um, because her fans are insane and she knows that, you know, you got to keep... You've been devoted to her. Been devoted. You also, like, pay her bills. She knows, like, you know, who pays her bills. Of course. Um, and so it was at the Palais at St Kilda um, and I lined up and there were seriously like 200 people there. I was number 25. Yeah. So I thought there are 24 people more tragic than me. Yeah. I'm so glad I can put a number on this finally. <laughs> but you get talking to them and I had bought tickets for the Melbourne show and then I thought, oh, should I go to the Sydney one? Oh, nah, like that's a bit obsessive. No, everyone else in that line would going the whole Australian tour. Jesus. Brisbane, three Sydney shows, Melbourne, Adelaide, Perth. People love it. I know. And to be fair, she plays pretty different set lists every sure. night. So it's kind of worth doing if you're obsessive. Mm-hmm. Um Anyway, the meet and greets, her bodyguards and her tour manager 
like knew everyone in this line personally before me. They go to like every show, line up for hours to meet her. And there was the guy who was so like the, the first sort of, 24 of those crazies. Yeah. And one of them was like, so they said to me, oh, is this your first, <coughs> is this your first time meeting Tori? And I'm like, yeah, they're just like, oh, it's amazing. Um, thinking okay well and i made a joke about us all being a bit tragic and that did not go down well Uh, they're like this isn't tragic you know she gets as much out of this as we do you know this thinking they're like it's not tragic like it i thought oh god what have i got myself into (laughs) um anyway so i'm lining up tori amos finally deigns to bless us with her presence she Mm -hmm. sends out her minders who are like all right you can choose a photo with tori amos or getting something signed yeah pick one um anyway so i thought they go like, yeah, we try to keep the line moving. Um, and then, of course, everyone, because these are the 24 most tragic Tori Amos fans of Victoria, the top 24. Yeah. Some who'd got there at like, this. she came out at like three. This one woman had got there at six. She Jesus was in the top Christ. five. So she deserved her time. She does deserve that. But she came in and she'd written this like emotional healing book or like, and she was, Tori Amos signed her emotional healing book she'd written. She came out. I was like, Tori's like blessed my work with like her spirit. Oh my God. I'm not even making, I'm not exaggerating. These are real things that happen. And then the first guy, the, the first man who came out, there are a few women, was a, a gay dude. She came out and all the other gay dudes in, in the line were like, what was she wearing? He goes, oh, well, she was wearing these Jimmy Choo heels. <laughs> it was just, it was just a living, down. it was a living stereotype. And then. Of course, the 24 people before me, of which 20, the security all knew by name. Yeah. Um, and they've all got stories like, oh, Tori Amos, your um, music got me through when my stepfather beat me and I was kicked oh out God. of home. And they've all got these tragic, long, involved stories. Mm. I know I've just prattled on for the better part of an hour, but like, that's okay. you know, I'm, I'm here. here I'm here to do that. But they're all these insane, grim stories with like no, every, you know, no light inside and you know good on her because she was fully present she looked everyone in the eye she was really like you felt that she was really present in this moment and not you really got the vibe maybe she did that she wouldn't go out the back and go what a bunch of fucking losers yeah like she was really polite lots of i'm not a big hugger but these people are huggers so they're just like she's tiny she's quite little she's like Quite petite, maybe about five foot tall. You know, these people like, <laughs> like barreling, like over barreling to her. at her, cr- like snot crying, like, <laughs> <laughs> like embracing her. And the security guards are just like ready to prize them off. Yeah. Um, but anyway, because these people are just like complete, they had no chill. So I'm sitting there and we get down to the woman before me and the security guard goes to the woman before me. Now I know you and I know you're a bit of a chatter. So we're going to have to like... Moderate this. Moderate this. And then I thought, fuck, I've been... Like, one time when I was 15 and I partied way too hard and stayed up for, like, three days, I hallucinated that my best friend was Tori Amos. So I was, like, vomiting on this, like, front lawn and Tori Amos was, like, comforting me. Yeah. So I've been, like, hallucinating slash fantasizing about this moment from when I was 15. And I thought, what am I going to say to her? Like, I'm not going to, like, tell her my tragic story, which, by the way, is nowhere near as tragic as these people's. Yeah. But, like, you've got to keep some composure. Anyway, so I finally get there and I'm like, oh, my God, this is it. Anyway, so... <laughs> this while, is all I've been waiting for. This is all I've been waiting for. My, my life is, you know, my life's highest peak, highest mm-hmm. achievement. Um, anyway, so hurriedly I was like, well, you can't tell a depressing life stories. You're not a crier. You're not a hugger. Mm-hmm. So that's, like, why are you even here? Um, but then I said, you know, I was like, look, 
I don't want to take up anymore. She, she, but she hugged me because she's used to all these huggers. So I'm like, <coughs> all right, all right. So she's coming out. She's hugging. going in. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna tell her no. Um. Anyway, so I said, you know, thank you, you know, so much for your music and coming out to Australia. And, you know, I have, she takes requests as well. The other big thing of her meet and greets is she always takes requests and she always tries to schedule her meet and greets before sound check. Okay. So she can do her sound check and then work in some requests. And it's hard when she's touring with a band because obviously you've got the set list you've record, like you've done. Of course. Whereas because this tour was solo, she could do whatever. Anyway, so I went in there and I said, oh, I've got some requests, if that's all right. She said, oh is this your only show of the tour? Knowing full well that all her fans are insane and follow her around. I said, yeah, this is my only show. Or at least the 24 before you. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) She said, is this your only show? She must've been like, oh, here's someone in the line that I don't know personally from them having stalked (laughs) me forever around this country. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so she said, is this your only show of the tour? And I said, yes. She goes, okay, right. Hang on. Gets out a notebook that she had like sitting on like her little like table where her water bottle was. Mm -hmm. She's like, okay, hang on. Gets out a notebook, gets out a pen. She said, okay, what are they? Um, and I gave her my requests. Um, and then she, she said, okay, great. I've got them down. And like wrote them down. Being the tragic I am, I said, oh, I'd really like to have this song with this particular intro. Wow. And then this and then this. And so you deserve that 25th spot. I deserve you that 25th it. spot. I didn't cry, but I knew exactly what I wanted. And I was very polite. <coughs> then I got cool. my photo where I look like an absolute, like, dill. Mm-hmm. Worth it. Anyway, totally. so then the show happens, like, two hours later or whatever. Go there, get in my seat. The Palais is, like, such a beautiful old building. Yeah. Tori Amos merch has always been horrifically bad. Like, it's mm-hmm. always sucked. But there are all these people, like these Gen Xs, lined up out the door buying terrible Tori Amos merch. I do not have terrible Tori Amos merch. Like, okay. I, you know... I, I have to draw the line somewhere. If it was good, I'd have heaps. But anyway, so I'm sitting there. She does her first three songs, then does the whole, oh, like, Hello Melbourne. And then the promoter had billed one of her Sydney shows as requests only. You yep. could, like, email them in. But she said, oh, look, I know the promoters billed the Sydney show as requests only. But I decided this afternoon that pretty much all of today is going to be requests only. And so then, like, the crowd cheers. And then... The next three songs were the three songs I requested in the order with the intro I requested. Oh, man. I was like, yes! Really earned it. I cried. Yeah. I did. But by myself, not in front of Tori Amos on her very expensive clothes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was great. Um, but talking about like my Tori Amos, when I put the picture on Facebook, all my friends who've known me since high school or spent any amount of time with me were just like, oh, God, it's happened. It's finally happened. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, I, like, I think I got a similar thing when... When I exist played the shows with I Hate God that we did a couple of years ago. Oh, of course. I, um, I'd met some of them before. I'd known some of them via email and things like that just from being a dork. Mm. And then um, <clears throat> when we played with them, um, at like the first show, it was like fun. And then at the second show, we sort of got to know one another better, got drunk, blah, blah. Then at the third show, I'd just been at some point drunk and talking to them about their band and whatever and then like halfway through the set the drummer just like pointed at me and they just played like one of my favorite songs and i you know similar thing i was like i can kill myself now and then you know two years go by or a year or whatever and we played a show with them in europe and then i talked was again talking to them about stuff and 
I, I don't, it didn't even come up in conversation, but someone said something about my favorite song, and then they said, "Oh, we played one for him." And I was like, "Well, that was my favorite song. I just like that song a lot." <laughs> and then I told them what my favorite song was, and then at that show in Europe, I was like standing, you know, kind of close to them while they were playing, and the guitarist just looked at me and he was like, "He just goes, pay attention." And I looked up, and they played my favorite song, and I yes. was like, "Yes." So now for me, I can. Like, you know, happy. Everything that's happened since yep. that moment has just been like a bonus on my life. <laughs> Absolutely. I think what's <coughs> interesting though is you being a hard, the hardcore Tori Amos stalker that mm. I was, um, having like read every single interview she'd ever done, something she talked about a lot was being a really intense fan herself. Yeah. She was a really intense fan of Led Zeppelin, like you know, very influenced by Kate Bush, but her talking about her fandom over uh, Led Zeppelin and Garbage, who I love, like Shirley Manson talking about loving, being a very intense fan of The Pretenders and of Blondie. And then you realise when you make music yourself um, that the people who you idolise, if they're any good as as, or interested in whatever art they're making, they're huge fans of art themselves. Yeah. And the people who aren't interesting or have no depth are the people who aren't. who are only in it to be famous, whatever that means now. Um, The really interesting people are the ones who are intense fans of, of anything really. Like you look at even people like John Frusciante, who I love Mm -hmm. um, from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, intense, intense, intense music fan of, of everything. Yeah. Um, The Chili Peppers were a good gateway band to better bands because they all loved Fugazi. They all loved a lot of stuff that was way better than the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Their wallets are cool shirts. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true, actually. But, (coughs) but yeah, you realise as an intense fan, (coughs) and it makes you go a little bit easier on, you know, there are always people, like, there are maybe less so now that we're older, but people who are really just... They have they're uncool in their fandom for things, and you just <laughs> sure. be like, "Dude, fucking settle down." Mm. And then you realize, as you get older, when you make music, it's nice to have people like that around. Yeah. Um, when people are, you know, trying to give off a certain image, or yeah, um, yeah. My housemate Rachel, who I've known for ages, once said something. I always think of it, which is, um, it's cool to be interested in things. Yeah. And anyone who tries to pretend that they're not. It's a bit imma- immature in a way, I suppose. Yeah. Well, I like to think of anything, at least if uh, people don't know anything about me, hopefully they know that I just like I hate God heaps. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's at least they can yep. put that on me. Yep. Yeah. And I'm happy to own that. Look, that's fine. And I'll talk to them about it at length. Yep. But it must be amazing though to be in a band and like in your own personal stardom moment, knowing that you were shifting units at the Rockhampton JB Hi-Fi. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't. I mean, the reality of being in a band is quite different to what I assume a lot of people think. But like, mm. it's fucking. I mean, it's still, and you know, I'm sure it gets at a certain point. It doesn't uh, even go into your brain at all. But it's still sick knowing mm. that like people buy our CDs, and it's fucking awesome knowing that like, like JB Hi-Fi. I would argue that almost every JB Hi-Fi has an I Exist CD yep. in it, which is fucking so sick. Like, it's Thanks so Thanks to cool. Resist's distro. Yeah, thank you, Graham. And yep. Universal or whoever. Whoever does it. Distributes this. Thank CDs. you, Parkway Drive, for making all that money <coughs> that can be used to finance things that aren't Parkway Drive. Thank you so much, Parkway Drive. That- they really have um, 
saved my life. <laughs> it's true. Parkway Drive. Oh, my God. Parkway Drive saved my life. Couldn't get more big ups review. Oh, dear. Good old Parkway. <laughs> it's so funny. I, I really... My brother, who's not really that into music and never understood my, like... He liked he loved Mastodon, so I got him into that. Mm-hmm. Like the Crack the Sky album, which I adored. Band. yep. Um, and re- I really, really love Mastodon. But anyway, um, he never really was that into Parkway Drive at all and didn't really like dig my enthusiasm for it Mm -hmm. and then when vice grip came out um i was like dude you have to like watch this new parkway drive video i love this he was he was yeah he was like oh no i don't want i'm like dude it's really cool it's an awesome film clip you'll fucking love it Mm -hmm. and he fucking loved it and then i showed him like the crushed film clip fucking loved it and he was like oh yeah i bought the I like bought it off itunes first time i've bought like any music in ages i was like see this is why parkway drive have done that that pivot (laughs) To get people who aren't already interested in their music, interested in their music. Of course, yeah. Um, but then you like you get on all the internet, like, you know, moderating internet comments for work too. You get all these people, like, commenting when they release that film clip. Like, oh, they've sold out. And it's like, well, they have the money to film mm-hmm. a badass film clip where they jump out of a plane. And also, like, you can't record the same Kill Switch Engage influenced songs it's true. every year. Like it's you true. Have to change something. It's well, some bands do, um, yeah. but I'm like kind of glad they haven't. Yeah. And there's only so many breakdowns you can force into a song. Correct. Um, but like considering, you know, and they're getting older. You, well, you yeah, don't want to be an old things, dude. Things change, but also uh, I think the biggest thing with them, and I mean, this is, you know, it's always weird talking about this stuff because I don't. Well, I know some of them, but not, not very well. But like, the fact of the matter is, they got to play to what they're doing. Yeah. Like, if if I exist wasn't playing to drunk stoners, then we probably wouldn't play the music that we're playing. Like, exactly. You know, like uh, it's obviously important to like what you're doing. Mm. I'm sure they still do like what they're doing, but you know, like the reality is, they're playing when they go to Europe. They play outdoor festivals. festivals. So yep. why play songs that suit moshing in your bedroom? It's like play songs you... that suit thirty thousand people going yeah. mental. Can you know that band, the Bennies? Uh-huh. It's like imagine <laughs> if the Bennies came out with an album that sounded like the National. Like yeah. it would just be so confusing. Correct. Um, yeah. You know they're, they're... going to play for fucking smoking bongs at a bar. Exactly. Yeah. Smoking smoking bongs at a bar. Yeah. That's... Which I'm sure they've done at this point. Uh, they were, do you see the videos of them touring? There was this video, the guitarist, um, I don't know him very well, but he works at Polyester Books. Jules. I know. Yeah, and yeah. he's he's a, like a nice enough guy, really friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was videos of him playing, when they played the zoo, um, he was like doing nangs on stage. Yep. That's what you got to do. They're really they're they're effectively the Parkway Drive of the Parkway Drive of, of pub level scar. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry if you don't approve of that, the Benny. Oh, that's all. No, they should though. That's what you should be <laughs> aiming for. I can't believe. By the way, I can't believe Nangs are a thing. Like that grown ups do. Yeah, I thought Nangs been are around like for a, a while. <laughs> but like the adults do. Like Nangs to me are like what you do when you're 15 and you don't know any drug dealers, but you want to be <coughs> like badass. Well. A lot of people are poor. That's fair. So I shouldn't class shame Nang use. <laughs> That's just like, you know, it used to be hookers and blow in yeah, like music drinks. industry. Now Cocaine it's Nang's. is horribly expensive. <laughs> Instead of hookers and blow, you know, now Spotify is just on streaming royalties. You can only afford Nang's. Correct. 
You know, if you t- there's actually like a nangs.com.au that will deliver to your door. Because you can't you just get them? It's legal, isn't it? Yeah. Because it's, it's just it's, the, the um, whipped cream thing or whatever. Yeah. The best part is if you type Gas in... Gas tank refill. Yeah. If you type in nangs.com.au, mm-hmm. the URL redirects to like, I think it's called creamshop.com.au. It sounds like a porn like URL, kind yeah. of. But like, yeah. And they very much like, nangs, we deliver nangs to your door. It's like, well, Great. like here I <laughs> was, you. I wish, you know, could go Just back what in, we needed. <laughs> go back in time to my 15 year old self and be like, you will be able to get everything delivered to your door, including those weird soda bulb things that you like did once and felt weird and never did again. <laughs> but like, yeah, I blame, you know, that Tame Impala band, like I blame them. They've got a song called Nance. Yeah, it's all their fault. It's swirly artwork. Swirly artwork. Nangs. He would. Well, that, that, that's a great music industry story. He, like, said he did a Reddit AMA, mm-hmm. the Tame Impala guy, earlier this year, and he just casually mentioned that he'd received no royalties for sales of his album outside of Australia, uh-huh. and like they were pretty big. Yeah. Um. He was like, oh, it just got chewed up by music industry people. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if you bought my album, none of that went to me. Yeah. Right. So here's a couple nangs for you. Here's some nangs for you. All I got left, I'm a nangs. Dude, yeah. Well, that's what happens. Um, Okay. This is a pretty good length, I think, Mm, to... um, Finish finish on the nangs. Finish on the nangs. Um, Do you have anything you want to advertise or promote to the masses? Yes. Um, Go on. I, I will. Okay, so... Um, I'm actually in the middle of recording new Sailor Mouth stuff at the moment, mm-hmm. but you can check out the old, old stuff at sailormouthmusic.bandcamp.com. There you go. Um, I have a zine, and you can find out more about that at iamverybusyandimportant.net. <laughs> the zine's called that, and it was a funny yeah. joke when I started I it. it like when I was talked. when I was in uni, and now like people think that like. I'd really think that I'm like, dude, I would not be making a zine <laughs> if I was actually busy and important. Correct. Like, yeah. So those are my things. And you can, you know, find out all my other stuff from those places. On the internet. On the internet. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming here and fucking talking about Rockhampton music and nangs with me. Yes. And Tori Amos. All and my Tori pe- Amos, sorry. All my pet subjects. Fucking brutal. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>